I'm going to read for us uh, the whole chapter of Deuteronomy 8. So it's so good, I couldn't cut any of it out. So just bear with me. I have it in your handout if you want to follow along. Deuteronomy 8. A war- the, the, sub- the header, a warning not to forget God in prosperity. This entire commandment that I command you today you must diligently observe so that you may live and increase and go in and occupy the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember the long way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you by letting you hunger, then by feeding you with manna, with which neither you nor your ancestors were acquainted, in order to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The clothes on your back did not wear out, and your feet did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a parent disciplines a child, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Therefore keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land flowing with streams and springs and underground waters, welling up in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land where you may eat bread without scarcity, where you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and whose hills you may mine copper. You shall eat your fill and bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Take care that you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commandments, his ordinances, and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. When you have eaten your fill and have built fine houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks have multiplied, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then do not exalt yourself, forgetting the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, an arid wasteland with poisonous snakes and scorpions. He made water flow for you from flint rock, and fed you in the wilderness with manna that your ancestors did not know to humble you and to test you, and in the end, to do you good. Do not say to yourself, my, my power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, so that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your ancestors as he is doing today. If you do forget the Lord your God, and follow other gods to serve and to worship them. I solemnly warn you today that you shall perish. Like the nations that the Lord is destroying before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. So, what do you think of when you hear the words wholehearted devotion? Anybody? Anything come to mind? Like, 
Yes. Yeah. Great. I think of, um, I had more time to think, so, you know, my awesome examples are, don't, you know, I had more time. Uh, I think of those Dance Dance Revolution guys back in the day, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, come on. Like the people? Okay. Think of those people. I guess they aren't just all guys. Um, I think of, of like a mom with a newborn child, right? Um, I am reading this book about the civil rights movement, so I'm thinking of like Martin Luther King Jr. And for that matter, Martin Luther, you know, with his 95 theses and then hiding away in this room where he translated the Bible into German for I don't know how long. Uh, I think of these guys who I've known at different points in my life who lived whole lives in a world of Warcraft. Uh, I know people who have sort of succumbed to their um, addiction. Uh, the ones I've known have been alcohol, where literally everything in their life is, is um, ruled by where their next drink will come from. And I also think of uh, the law interns I've heard about uh, that, you know, will work like 90 hours a week, you know, to accomplish whatever it is you're trying to accomplish as a law intern. Um, for me, uh, the, I can think of, this is the only thing I can think of from my life, is like when I uh, went to Trevecca and I played soccer, I had to go two weeks early for preseason. And I uh, remember at the end of the fourth practice in one day, it was 9 p.m., and I would just drag myself into my room <laughs> and shower, whatever, and then set my alarm for 5.40 a.m. because the next practice was at 6 a.m. I mean, four days are quite intense. Um, I think I uh, thought of this man that I heard about who adopts uh, terminally ill children so that they'll have someone to love them before they die. Um, I think of Simone Biles. <laughs> um, I think of politicians. I think of Jesus. I mean, there's a lot of ways, I guess, to be wholeheartedly devoted. And the more I thought about this concept, the concept that is really like at the center of our passage today, and in reality, it's probably at the very center of the Bible itself. It's this one command, this insistence of God to be fully devoted. And then I just realized that there are a lot of things to be devoted to. That any given person might be devoted to any number of things. And when it's like an addict who's devoted, we look at that person with maybe judgment or maybe with pity or maybe with empathy. And when it's like a mother or a father who's devoted, we look at them with admiration and maybe even like want to encourage that devotion. Um, but I was thinking, you know, devotion itself isn't all that uncommon. 
It seems pretty common, and maybe even wholehearted devotion is not that uncommon. There, in the lives of so many people who are invisible to us, there lies devotion, maybe even deep devotion, maybe even wholehearted devotion to something, something that drives and forms and motivates those people to move about the world in a certain way, this devotion that informs all that they do and all that they care about in the way that they live in the world. And the central message of the Bible is this message of wholehearted devotion to God. And it comes in the form of a commandment that is repeated both in the Old and the New Testaments, and it even comes out of the mouth of Jesus. It is a commandment that is central to the Jews. And in the Old Testament, it's summed up in this phrase uh, that we call the Shema. Now, I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor. I was there, you know, before it started. We were the last ones out the door walking up. And I got to tell you, I didn't know what the Shema was until I went to college. <laughs> so this is not like, uh, if you're Jewish, I think you learn what the Shema is. But uh, the Shema is, um, you know, I think it's funny because we don't emphasize it as much in our tradition. And I was reading this commentary on this passage, and I just, it was so hysterical. I had to, like, quote what this commentator said. I read it to Caleb. <laughs> he said, even the casual reader of scripture recognizes that the Shema is a radicalization of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. I like, totally laughed at that. Like, even the casual reader of scripture recognizes that the Shema is a radicalization of the first commandment. Like, no, no, they don't. <laughs> like, I don't know who you know. Maybe all Bible scholars, they all recognize this. But no, it's like, no, they don't. But it, it reads like this, uh, the Shema. And, and it can be translated a couple of different ways, but I like this translation of the NRSV. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And now, whenever, the, whenever LORD is spelled with all caps in the Bible, um, it's not the word LORD. So this is kind of like, you know, bi Bible. Uh, it's actually the word Yahweh. And Yahweh is the name that first appears um, when Moses asks God, who, who am I to say sent me to Pharaoh? I can't just go and say a voice in a bush told me to go to Pharaoh or something. Like, who am I to say sent me? And this is when God says, God reveals the divine name, Yahweh. Now it's translated as, I am who I am. And I like the translation, I will be whoever I will be, a bit better. I think it is more true to the Hebrew. But, um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's the, when it's L-O-R-D, capitals, it's talking about the name Yahweh. Now, for Jews, they don't say the word Yahweh because it is too sacred. Um, and so they use the word Adonai. Adonai means my Lord, and they substitute that. So Jews know if you're saying Adonai, it is 
Yahweh that you're actually saying. And in English, we've kind of carried that tradition through by translating our Bibles with capital L-O-R-D instead of putting the actual name for God that's spelled in the Hebrew scriptures. Two more fascinating things really quick. Uh, the, have, have you guys heard the word Jehovah, like the name Jehovah is being used for God? Uh, it doesn't work out as well in English, but if you look at the Hebrew, Jehovah is the consonants of Yahweh and the vowels of Adonai. And they are combined to create Jehovah. So there's this, uh, yeah, this is kind of like a, a Prius. It's like the hybrid, right, uh, of names for God. I think this is fascinating. I don't know. Maybe you guys don't think it's fascinating. And then, like our song today, uh, Hallelujah. Anybody? Hallelujah? What that means? Halal is like praise, and Yah is the first uh, part of Yahweh. Praise Yahweh. So we have this all over our tradition, but it's like, until you get it, you're like, what even is hallelujah? I remember being a teenager and just critiquing all the lyrics. Like, what even is that word? What does that even mean? So anyway, I think that's, I think that's fascinating. Um, so, so in this passage, in the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, is our God, the Lord alone. And then it goes on. You are to love the Lord with all your heart. Now, where is our heart located? today, if I said heart. Anybody? That's right. Yeah, put your hand on your heart while you say the Pledge of Allegiance. But this is not what this word really means. This is translated as heart, but it's not the seat of emotions, but rather the seat of thought. So where would the seat of our thought be today? If you put your hand, that's right. Love the Lord your God with all your head, (laughs) Uh, with all your brain. (laughs) I don't know. And with all your soul, where's our soul? Anybody? That's a little more <laughs> ambiguous. Me and Gibber were talking about this a little bit the other day. Your soul. But this word is not soul. Of course, it's a Hebrew word, and it's actually the word nephesh. And nephesh means like your life force. And for the ancient, uh, the Jews, nephesh is actually in your neck. I mean, if you cut off someone's neck you in their life force, if you know what I mean. There's like this life force that's like the blood flowing in your neck, right? So love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And might is maybe the closest translation where it's like, it's not strength actually, but it means the person's full capacity, Love the Lord your God with all your mind and with all your life force and with your full capacity. One God and a wholehearted devotion to God. That's a central idea. That's a central command. The one that Jesus even says in the New Testament is the most important when he is questioned. He's not quoting some random thing. He's quoting something central, the Shema. But there's a problem, right? How in the world does a community a community, stay fully devoted to God. How does this happen? How can a whole community over generations, uh, you know, stay true to God and to the law? Now, the law is what? It can be summed up in the Shema, right? Or it could be the whole Decalogue, the, the Ten Commandments. 
but it also includes the first five books of the Old Testament. So we talk about the law when the law is referenced. Oftentimes for Jews, it's the first five books of the Old Testament, the law. Um, how do we remember wholehearted devotion to God? Well, as it often happens, uh, the context of this command to remember happens in a very specific place and a very specific time. You know, it's pretty common in the Bible that, like, you know, it's not written in the heavens and then, like, dropped down into earth. But there actually was, like, a context for these things. Uh, and the place where it's written is at the threshold between the wilderness over here and the promised land over here. So the people are about to come to the promised land, and here is where the command is given. Uh, and now, you got to know, almost all of the Bible, <laughs> uh, all the stories we have of the people of God are written in one of two places, right? In the promised land, or outside of the promised land. And outside of it can have many names, right? Like we got um, the desert, you know, when the people wandered in the desert for 40 years. Um, but you've got Egypt. You've got Babylon, when the people were sent into exile. And, and this whole area over here, we could probably sum up by just saying, like, the wilderness. Or, you know, not the promised land. Um, and the challenge with wholehearted devotion is that in the wilderness, um, we sort of had to have it to survive, right? Like, it was hard. No one would choose the wilderness over the promised land. Um, but in the wilderness, provision actually is like all that we care about, right? Like, that God is providing manna and water and like that is the substance of our lives in the wilderness. And so there is the command, the central command, um, that just so happens to come like right smack dab in the middle of these two places. And it makes you wonder if it wasn't kind of easier in some ways to fulfill this wholehearted devotion out here when it was demanded. Um, and make you wonder if, if that wasn't easier than, than in the promised land. So I just wonder this morning, as a person in this community, you know, where, if you were going to identify yourself in this story, where would you fall? In the wilderness? In the promised land? In the promised land, you know, we're building houses. We're tending vineyards. We're sitting on, under our own fig trees, some of us metaphorically and some of us literally, um, being filled with community and structure and rest and receiving the victory from all those forces who are oppressing us. You know, the, the promised land is kind of like this place where we're winning, right? We're winning at life. Um, 
Or would you more identify with the people of God in the wilderness, wandering around, unsure of where your next step is going to be, unsure of where your next meal is going to come from, seemingly dependent on supernatural forces or just natural ones to decide your fate? Uh, This passage talks about scorpions and snakes and, uh, you know, just hoping that your clothes don't wear out. Um, and your feet don't swell. Being in the wilderness is often being a foreigner in a strange land or being enslaved in a system of oppression that keeps you running around trying to make bricks with no straw. And see, being in the wilderness is a part of the story of God's people. And wholehearted devotion there looks maybe a little bit different, right? Wholehearted devotion here might look a little bit like Um, holy complaining, Uh, but in some way that might be a little bit easier. easier. In some ways, desperation and dependence are kind of like two peas in the same pod. And like Abram, who prayed his um, brave and faith-filled complaint to God, the wilderness and dependence and uh, dedication can go hand in hand in hand. And even people of faith who do the right things find themselves in the wilderness more than we'd like. So this, I don't know how it's been for you, but these past two years have been sort of a period of wilderness for me. Uh, It's been kind of this waterless, wasteland of wandering around. It's been a hard two years. I was reflecting this week um, because I was looking at some pictures that um, Story uh, was Daly's age when COVID started and how that feels so weird because COVID has just, just this ongoing thing, but it has been years. And, uh, you know, even before COVID, we had that tornado that tore through Germantown, and then we had that big windstorm, and then COVID came, and then we were isolated, and then we all got to know what it's like to, like, have the social life of an introvert, and, um, you know, some of us faced interpersonal conflict or financial fears or um, change, change change, change, change. There's so much change. Um, George Floyd and the protests in the streets and rising rents and inflation and learning loss. And we, there has been a lot of learning and unlearning. There's been a lot of uncertainty and there's been a lot of doubt. And the Bible wasn't written in 2022, so we don't know, you know, what period of time the people of God would have been described at in between 2020 and 2022. But I imagine, I would guess, that maybe as we look back at our story, that this might be a period of wilderness for us, for the people of God in these years. And if we locate ourselves in our wider story, generally, in the wider framework of society, Wilderness feels like it it has been widespread. And dependence on God, maybe for some of us, it felt kind of compulsory, right? Like, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. 
We stopped telling our children plans that were going to happen tomorrow because we didn't know if they were going to happen or not. Daily bread is what we needed. But now I wonder if we aren't on the verge of something different, if we aren't on a threshold of sorts. In our passage today, the people of God are on the edge of the promised land, and they are getting ready to enter it, and they are very excited to be done with that, to be done with manna. Imagine eating the same thing for 40 years. That's crazy. Uh, to finally come into a land to call their own, to go with this God who has fed them and tended them all of these years, who has freed them from slavery, who has promised to be good to them, to make good on these promises. What now? What now that they are entering, now that they are entering the promised land, things are going to change. Now is when they must remember. Now is when they must remember. They must remember the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And as the people enter the promised land, they must do the very sacred and very ordinary act of remembrance. Remembering that Yahweh is the Lord their God. Remember, God says, when you enter the land, remember me in your prosperity. Remember that I am God alone. Remember what I did for you. Remember Abraham. Remember when you were enslaved in Egypt. Remember I freed you. Remember in the desert I fed you. Your sandals didn't wear out. Your feet didn't swell. The clothes stayed good. When you are finally at peace, when you sit under your own fig trees, and when you have houses that you can live in, remember, this prosperity, this is from me. This is actually my provision, the same provision, a different provision, but this is from me. I have made this for you because I am your God, and here is how I want you to remember. Here it is. Think about it. Think about it when you go to bed. Think about it when you get up in the morning. Talk about it. Talk about it with your children. Put it on your hands and on your forehead and on your houses. When you lay down and when you get up, some people have live, laugh, love on their houses. You put the Shema, right? Like, see it. See it there. Repetition. This is how you will remember it. You see it. You hear it. You feel it. And when you celebrate the festivals three times a year that I've commanded you to celebrate, you will taste it. The bread of Passover, the festival of booths and weeks, when you say thanks to God for your food and your harvest, when you put in your offering at the temple, the temple, remember. In the promised land, you must remember that the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, because wholehearted devotion is no longer a matter of life and death. I once heard this saying, and it's kind of stuck with me. It goes, be careful not to take responsibility for the bad things that happen. Because if you do, then when the good things happen, you will take credit for those too. 
And I think at the heart of this saying, there is something very similar to this passage today, which is that at the heart of this saying is that God is the provider. God is our God. God alone. And if I take credit (laughs) for the wilderness, then I won't cry out in my holy complaint to God to provide for me here. And if I take credit here, then I might just take credit here. When everything is going well, I kind of cause this to happen. And we won't remember that it is God and that at the end of this Deuteronomy 8 passage, if you don't, what happens? Then you will have to leave the land. We must cry out to God for help in the wilderness. That is just as much a part of our story, just as much. And we must remember in providence who is our provider. There is this something about Abram's complaint and Moses' request and the cries of the people in Egypt and the complaint in the wilderness for no food and no water that compels God to act on behalf of God's people. In the wilderness, we must cry out, trusting that God will provide. And in the promised land, we must remember that it is God who provides. Whether that be supernaturally or just ordinary at that point. (sighs) Being in the wilderness and crying out because of it is part of the story. And remembering God and God's commandments. And, And these commandments are like, yeah. God. But it's also like rest. It's also like welcome the foreigner. It's also like, you know, there's the commandments are are for us. They're part of the promised land. They're not just rules because as a, a payment for the promised land, they are part of it. They are part of the gift. But in both of these, wilderness in promised land, the heart, the center, is wholehearted devotion. So no matter where you are today, whether you're in a season of wilderness or the promised land, the center is the same. Central command, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Wholehearted devotion is right in the middle. Let's pray. God, thank you for the law. Thank you for the ways that you didn't just set us free to do whatever we wanted, but that you gave us a way to live that is life-giving and is part of the whole thing. I pray that for those of us this morning who feel like we are in a wilderness, that we wouldn't take that on, but that we would turn to you and cry for help. And I pray for those of us who are in or feel like they are entering the promised land, that you would help us remember. Remember from whom our provision comes. That we may lie down and get up and think, and with all of our brain 
and with all of our neck and with all of our might, may we remember and may we love you, our Lord. Amen.